0: we became the only profitable player in that space, in this country. Good start. Great start. Not sustainable. So you could be in a sector that's high growth, but if you still don't have the right founders or management team it will kind of fail how do you add value to founders it's actually all the work you do off the ball what is your kill criteria whenever you think about partnering or investing that helped us think about our kill criteria and one of them is
1: what qualities and um, you know character traits do you look for in investment managers
0: yeah um
1: Private markets investments are investors can find some real value. I find the best way to learn is learn from someone who's done it before and given it a go. Hi, I'm Travis Miller, host of Grow Your Wealth podcast. Thanks for joining me here today. On these podcast sessions, we're going to talk through how uh, certain investors have navigated the bumpy road of investing, whether it be through business or investments in general. Thanks for listening today. Today on Grow Your Wealth podcast, we're thrilled to introduce our guest, Adrian Whittingham. With a remarkable career in the world of finance after a successful stint at Pinnacle, where he witnessed the firm's transformation from a startup to a unicorn. Adrian ventured out to establish scarcity partners recently, and he's aiming to revolutionize the investment landscape. A pioneer in his field, he's now focused on offering investors a chance to own equity in some of the most promising investment managers. Let's deep dive into Adrian's journeys the problems he's identified in the industry and his vision for the future. Please welcome Adrian to the show. Stay tuned as we delve deeper into Adrian's insights, experience and strategies that can ignite growth in your own entrepreneurial journey. Welcome, Adrian, to Grow Your Wealth podcast.
0: Thanks, Travis. Great to be here and and looking forward to the discussion.
1: Good on you. Now, let's start at the beginning. I've sort of gone a little bit through your background and you grew up in the northwest suburbs of Castle Hill in Sydney. Uh, it's probably a little bit more sort of country at the time, but it's very <laughs> it much suburbia these days. Do you want to just give us a potted summary of your early life and how you started your journey? It's interesting to just hear about your, you know, your personal background.
0: Sure. Well, um, you know, very fortunate to have, um, you know, a fantastic mum, uh, two sisters uh, and a great dad. You know, like I think probably what are the stats, 50% of families, they, you know, parents divorce and break up. And that happened when I was uh, fairly young, at the age of seven, so I grew up in a household of all women. And, uh, and maybe that's probably, you know, been a good thing in regards to my develop my career, um, because I always learned, you know, to, my mum was a big believer in turn the other cheek, listen to people, be respectful. Uh, so I learned a lot of great attributes from her and, uh, you know, Being a single parent household, she, she worked full time. Uh, My sisters worked from the age of 14. I worked from the age of 14. And we all contributed to the cost of the house. Um, So it was, you know, very much, you know, fortunate to be in a great area, but very grounding from, from a young age.
1: Gotcha. It's interesting from some of these podcasts I've been doing, the influences that mothers have, yeah. you know, on young men and going, you know, into their careers. That's interesting to hear that sort of background.
0: Yeah, and also, um, you know, she was never a very healthy person, but she still tried hard. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably some of the attributes I've learned from, from. and my dad, my dad worked hard as well. Gotcha. Uh, but when you've always, you know, we, we grew up with, I call it like, um long shorts, so I had long pants, no. were ankle freezers at school because we just didn't have a lot of money for, yeah, gotcha. for clothes. And, uh, you know, when you get a uh, BMX for Chris, uh, for Christmas and it's like a secondhand BMX and yeah, gotcha. I think it costs like $15, but it was the world to me. Yeah, gotcha. And it just makes you appreciate some of the, um, more basic things in life, which we're, we're super fortunate to have.
1: That's the thing with a BMX after a couple of rides and a few stacks, they're all secondhand, right? So. <laughs> the case. sure it worked just as well. Now, can we go through uh, your early career? You know, what did you enjoy doing the most? Obviously, it sounds like you started working at 14, so you had a bit of work ethic in the early days, helping out the family. But just going through that journey from a work perspective, particularly the early years.
0: Yeah, so I've always been, I was always a very busy kid. Uh, I was not the type to sit down in front of a TV or, you know, clearly we didn't have, I think, the... Commodore 64 maybe came out when I was 16 or something. So I was always very, very active. And, uh, you know, I, I just enjoyed working, whether it be, I uh, worked in the local bakery, uh, the local nursery and, um, you know, I think you learn to appreciate, you know, the different aspects that people give you and the, you know, the mentors that yeah. you have in your career. And I, obviously that, that's a, that's at a young age, yeah, it's really good. however, you know, in that um, in that area, there was a lot of, it was very multicultural, gotcha. you know, uh, Castle Hill, you know, yeah, as, yeah. as I grew up. So, um, and then over that period of time, you know, I was, um, uh, probably tolerated school, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe yeah, the right ended. way to explain, explain yeah. it. Uh, but I was always wanting to do things rather than, than study.
1: Just on the school front, so you tolerated schools, so you clearly didn't like doing your maths and English. What about the other side? Did you like hanging out with your mates or playing sport? How did that all roll?
0: Yeah, um, I spent pretty much most of my time out of the house where possible. Gotcha. So that included avoiding any study <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or reading any books, yeah, uh, any books for school. So yeah, I'm, I played rugby, uh, basketball, uh, pretty high level at tennis, was quite competitive in that side of things. Yeah. Um, Uh, but school was, you know, and I, and I did well at school, but it was very much about, um, seeing, I struggled to see tangible results in studying Macbeth. (laughs) Whereas, whereas if I actually worked and, and, uh, helped create things or build things, I could actually see what the outcome was. And I think that is something that has been ingrained in me from that younger age of actually when you, you
1: you put your elbow grease to something, you want to see the outcome from it. Yeah, got you. I mean, in your career, you've always been, you know, speaking to clients and sort of, you know, speaking to customers and, uh, you know, as you go through your career, you realise the academic is critical and important. You've got to be a subject matter expert, but the social side, your networks, your contacts, relationships, they're actually, you know, just as critical if, you know, if not more important.
0: Yeah, it's, um, you know, as we're building scarcity now, yeah, it, it's, Uh, really interesting. There's some relation, some individuals that I haven't seen for, for say 10 years. And, uh, you know, some of them were were clients when we were at Pinnacle or not. But yet I was on the phone to a family office just before I came here and I hadn't caught up with that individual for probably that period of time. Mm -hmm. But it was like, um, I spoke, caught up yesterday. You know, so they were the enduring relationships uh, that I've been fortunate to build and, you know, I think, you know, when I think about career post-school, I went to, um, I joined the AMP and straight out of school yeah. and I, one of my first roles was actually, uh, looking at endowment and whole of life yeah, I remember <laughs> calculations, yeah. again, yeah. showing age yeah, and, them. um, and during that process, you, you know, I, Unfortunately, I had the experience of seeing the way some things were sold to individuals. And yep. I've always had a very strong moral compass and focus on the client. It's been very strong. But when you have experiences like that, I think it just makes you even stronger.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay, next one, two part question. Can you share two or three pivotal moments that led to where you are now? And who are the top three people that influenced you, influence, uh, you through, through that period?
0: They're great. That's a great question. Um, maybe if I'll, I'll just start on the individuals yeah, that were p- sure. pivotal. Uh, so when um, when I was looking to develop my career, um, I was at at Zurich in in the investment management business, and we uh, Zurich back then was a very good business. We competed with the likes of BT, who were a powerhouse in those yeah, days, yeah. and we were like the the the, the very much minimum. Uh, you know, the smaller player in in the market. And, uh, one thing I've always tried to stay ahead of is where the market is heading, you you know, which is difficult, but I think the more people you speak to and the more, Mm. um, open mind you have, you, you can get a better feel of where it's heading. Uh, and at that point in time, I could see that, the role of specialization in investment management was going to yep. take, get get momentum and take hold. And there was two firms, IML uh, was one of them. So I'd seen Anton start to rise after having left Perpetual and also Schroeders. And Schroeders had recently sold off their investment bank. And so a pivotal moment for, for me is that um, I had, I reached out to Schroeder's and didn't hear back from them. Gotcha. I, I was at Zurich and I thought, okay, well, because so I was trying to make things happen. I'm
1: sure they're really busy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think they were. And, um, and anyways, fortunately, I think I reached out again and I, 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 uh, got in contact with Murray Brewer and, and Murray was the head of wealth or the head of distribution mm-hmm. and wealth at Schroeder's. And I went through the po- process of joining, uh, Schroeder's and it was, was quite interesting, they, um, uh, they did all of the academics, quantitative tests, you know, go through the whole ringer and, um, and they provide the results to you and I got my results and I was like, I was quite, I was quite (laughs) impressed with my results. It says, this is where you sit relative to the industry and not being an academic by heart, but, uh, but, but still strong enough to do well, I, I, I was quite proud. And then they showed... And this is how you compare to everyone else in Schroder's. <laughs> and yeah. the results weren't as good because yeah. there are a lot of, you know, a lot Lots of smart people, smart people in that yeah. space. But, but I had the opportunity to work with Murray and Murray's, you know, one of my mentors That's great. and, uh, Murray Brew and Greg, and Greg Cooper there. And Schroder's, you know, the whole business, we built that business as something that was a, a real powerhouse, um, gotcha. during that period of time. And I left, uh, I left there to join Pinnacle. So Murray, gotcha. Murray is... Murray is one of those guys who's tenacious, open-minded and very flexible in the way he thinks about working with clients and and uh, working with fund managers. So that was, that was a really important part for me as I started to to step into a more senior level in investment management.
1: Hey, if you're enjoying this, please subscribe on whatever platform you're using. It helps us build a community. We want to educate investors and this is what it's all about. Okay, so you've had a varied career, you know, starting in AMP Corporate Super, and Zurich uh, to Schroeders, yep. and then to Pinnacle. And Pinnacle, I want to dig into a little bit further with you, but what was the biggest shift you made in your career that brought you where you are today?
0: Yeah, that, that's actually a pretty easy one to answer, um, and it ties in with one of the other three mentors, uh, and that was actually joining Pinnacle. Gotcha. Um, I had, you know, Schroeder's was flying, uh, we're doing very well. I was I think, one of the youngest directors ever at Schroeder's, um, and Ian McCown reached out to me and I, I think this this was in 07 yep. and, and Ian said, look, I'm building something I believe in. And he'd just finished up at Perennial not long earlier. He helped build Perennial with Mike Cravelli. And he said, I'm building a multi-affiliate. I'm a strong believer in the boutique model, uh, you know, minority investing is the way to build outstanding investment firms. Would, would you join? Sierra join me. 2007. 2000, late, yeah, late 2007.
1: Very much first mover.
0: Yeah, well, pretty much. And, and I said, you're kidding me. You're telling me to join a startup. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of the GFC. No, true. Uh, yeah, true. From a firm that, you know, where we, were absolutely killing it. And, I, yeah. I, and we had a great culture at Schroeder's. Yeah. Uh, so typical for me is that, uh, I was, you know, that, that seed is planted and then I caught up with Ian a, Ian a couple more times and, uh, became an absolutely no brainer to do it, to, gotcha. to, um, join a startup in the middle of the GFC. And that was, really? that, that was pivotal. And, and Ian's a great mentor of mine and, uh, you know, his vision on the way alignment and working with founders is something that's kind of ingrained in me. I'm, i I developed my own style mm. in that regard. Uh, but that was totally pivotal when we, when I, Ian and I started and Andrew Chambers was there, who's also a fantastic, uh, friend of mine. There was three of us. I think we had two odd billion of FUM. So you said, I was going to ask that. So how many, two, two of you in the business? Three of us, Ian, Andrew Chambers and myself. Yeah. Uh, we might've had two odd billion of FUM. Yep. I think we might've had three investment firms. So Plato, Resolution Capital and Hyperion. Gotcha and Solaris, we just were doing Solaris. Uh, we had three billion of fun and... Good start for a small team. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. But we're fighting against, you know, back then because the market was just imploding, mm, for sure. everyone was saying bigger was better. Yeah. And we're like, no, Boutique is better. <laughs> so we're trying to break, mm. uh, not necessarily new ground, but um, but certainly, trying. To, we we're very
1: active in the market with our investors, with our clients.
0: Gotcha. That's
1: very interesting. Very big business was built, ultimately, right? And how long ago did um, you leave Pinnacle?
0: Yeah, so I finished up in at the end of '22. Gotcha. Um, What's that?
1: Fifteen years.
0: Yeah, just just under fifteen years, and you know we had. Well, I mean, they've done a great business. Mm. Uh, they've done a great job. There's 17 firms, you know, from two billion to 90 billion of farm um, or close to Pretty it. Impressive. Yeah, and enterprise value from less than twenty mil to, or hit two billion, but I think it's one point six billion today. So it is, it is a, it is a unicorn, and the guys deserve you know huge credit because it, that's rare in funds management mm, is to sure. create is to create a firm like that. Got gotcha. you.
1: I can see with your, uh, we'll talk about a lot of scarcity partners. The background's perfect for where you're looking to move at the moment, but we'll we'll get there soon. Sure. Okay, so what's worked and what hasn't? So bumps in the road. So, fine, you know, chatting to people, it's about the resilience. You've got to take a few hits to move forward, and what have been the learnings from the bumps?
0: Yeah, so I think what's worked has been um, owning equity and being a minority partner within yeah. with with founders. I think that is fundamentally, um, if 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 you can achieve the better model, yeah, because. It is very much about the key people creating the alpha or the distribution results, owning most of the economics and as a partner, you know, you share in that, but you have to add a lot of value yourself. So I think, and you know, there's a lot of different aspects to that, but I think that's, uh, absolutely something that, that works, um, bumps in the road. Look, I think nothing lasts forever you know, business models mm. need to evolve and change. And you've seen it in this market here, right? Um, how long do fund managers continue to grow for? Yeah. At, at, or does their either investment team or, or their business model persist? Gotcha. It probably feels like it's only between eight to 15 years if mm. you, if you do a study of those that have been successful. So yeah. I think what hasn't worked is um, when firms are successful, they just maintain status quo. I think you always have to evolve Mm. because the market is evolving and also the people within it are, are evolving. So that's been a big lesson, uh, you know, I think from my perspective, you know, particularly when you think about working with founders, we've created, uh, a number of kill factors when we think about partnering with firms and there is an awesome, uh, an awesome podcast by, uh, Ted Sides on capital allocators. And he has Annie Dukes on that, in, on that podcast. Gotcha. And Annie Jukes wrote the book called Thinking in Bets, which is quite popular. Yeah. Annie Jukes was a professional poker player, I yeah. should say. So very mathematically based, yeah. but she also wrote a book called Quit. And, um, uh, in that, in that book, uh, in that podcast, she talks when she, when she was talking with a number of fund managers, she talks about kill criteria and was asking them, well, what is your kill criteria whenever you think about partnering with yeah. or, or investing? And that helped us think about our kill criteria. And, and one of them is to look at business models and think how sustainable are they? And, yeah. you know, do they need to, do they need to evolve? So yeah. probably mistakes in the, in the past has been one of the developments yeah. on what we're doing going
1: forward. I think that kill factors is critical because I know within our business, we see so many transactions Yeah, and you just don't have time to look at everything. But if you've got a few rules that say, I'm not doing it or kill this, you can quickly filter a hundred potential transactions or investments down to 10 to 15 without trying that hard. You just look for the factors that are complete nose deal killers. Yep. And then you can, uh, you move on to the things that, you know, th- that are interesting. Yeah.
0: Quick nose. Quick no's.
1: Quick no's, are quick no's yeah, 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 and, sure. and,
0: and also Um, you know, we never in the past attributed our decision-making. So that's one thing that we do now is to actually, um, whether we proceed or not Mm -hmm. is to document, it doesn't take long, right? Because, because things do change. There's been the odd occasion, it's very rare, where a business might not be right now or Mm -hmm. not in the right sector, uh, but march forward, Mm -hmm. you know, it might be something more appealing in three or five years time. Yeah. So if you can reflect on your initial decision-making,
1: yeah, it, sure. it,
0: it's, it's, that yeah, is a critical part of the yeah, process.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I know, again, looking investment, sometimes the person who's looking for capital is an amazingly talented salesperson, <laughs> and they're selling to you, and you go, gee, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe I should invest. But then when you go through the real criteria, you realize he's actually selling to me something that's not that good. Yeah. So having sort of, you know, Quantitative and qualitative methods to assess transactions, um, you know, makes sense. I got you know, totally agree with with your comments. Now, you're obviously passionate about the importance of strong culture in business, um, you know, who you work with. Can you share your top tips for those looking to, you know, grow a business? Um, things that are important to you, given you've been the whole journey with Pinnacle, uh, and you obviously commenced a new journey now.
0: Yeah, it's a that is a topic I'm really passionate about, yeah, I got you. <laughs> uh, and and maybe it is the roots from where I grew up, and you know, you know the you know less beneficial environment. But one thing uh, which is critical for success in building a multi generational business uh, or working with founders to bring the next level through, uh, and also engaging with clients is is to never forget where you come from. Mm. It is a real, it's a real issue in business where success can (laughs) transform people, the way people operate and behave and view things. And some of the best investors that I have come across have stayed humble, you know, do not exhibit hubris and, you know, really remember the individuals that, or the groups that were fundamental to their success. So, so when we think about partnering or taking an equity stake in a firm often we're assessing, you know, through that journey, have they changed the way
1: mm-hmm.
0: they operate or think, uh, because at the end of the day, you know, that saying OPM, yeah. right, is critical, other people's money, Yeah, for sure. you know, we're, we're fortunate we're in an, uh, an industry that has mandated growth, but it's not our money we manage, yeah. it's other people's money, so So that is, that's an area when we think about, you know, when we, uh, meet with a potential portfolio company's founders, you know, we probably have 30 plus meetings and we're constantly asking the same question, but in a different way, multiple times to see if you get, if you get the same type of answer. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you want to learn more about alternative assets, there's a book here, you can read how you grow your wealth, alternative assets. Now back to the episode. Okay, now it's, you know, pivoting to scarcity partners, which yep. is exciting new business that you've got up and running. Um, you know, where did the idea come from and what problem are you solving? Yeah, so it's, um,
0: it's a good question in the fact that private equity typically is not a good model in funds management businesses. So if you th- if you think about typical private e- typical private equity not all yep. but shorter holding periods control transactions yeah, uh, use of leverage that doesn't work in funds management right when you when you want to build an outstanding firm the most valuable growth is organic growth it comes with the highest multiple as yep. well because you build you build true enterprise value so to achieve that mm. You have to be longer term, right? (laughs) You have to be like 10, 7, 10, 15 years, uh, as mentioned, you should be, it's better being a minority investor and, and leverage really isn't a friend in funds management businesses. Uh, so you have to be very, you have to be very founder centric. So to, to answer your question, when, um, when I was considering what business model to take to the market in building scarcity I'd spent the last couple of years looking at transactions offshore and I would come across GP staking firms the likes of Blackstone Strategic and Peters Hill um, uh, Dial which is now called GP Strategic yep. and people would say well you know you're up against or have you looked at this you know private equity firm I'm like private equity firm, it doesn't work yeah. in funds management. But I studied their business models and I'd seen that they had evolved their business models to be evergreen permanent capital, yeah, longer term, founder, founder and growth focus. And I was like, right, so there is the evolution. It's a bit like mentioned earlier, nothing stays the same, right? Yeah. They had evolved their business model, uh, into more, um, evergreen or permanent capital. So, the development at scarcity was, well, we could build again in a multi-affiliate model like Ian & Co and done a great job, or we could do something new. And overseas in the US, GP staking firms have raised circa $50 billion over the last five to 10 years. And, And the key, the key thing we're trying to solve or offer and we benefited this personally and our shareholders at, at Pinnacle is operating leverage. Gotcha. It's incredible in fund investment management. Yeah. You know your revenues grow at a rate much higher than what your co- your costs yeah, do. That makes sense. And that operating leverage uh, often investors don't get access to that. Right? They get access to more mature firms listed on the ASX that don't have the growth. Yeah. That don't have the operating leverage as much. So. When we thought about how do we build scarcity, it was pretty obvious that we had to do it as a GP staking firm because we wanted investors to have access to a return stream that's not available in Asia, it's not available in this market, uh, and they get to they get the upside of those type of returns. Of, of owning equity in investment managers, so so for us, that's what actually gets us out of bed. Gotcha. Uh, we love the industry, we love working with founders, but we're providing an opportunity for investors they just don't get.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, the backing of founders in funds management—you're taking a minority interest, yeah—supporting their growth. And I know part of your business is looking at how you can leverage your skill set to help them grow while still being a minority um, person in that sort of in, in that arrangement.
0: Yeah. So that's a question we got, we get asked a lot. So, um, well, how are you going to add value? Yeah. Right. And, uh, the first thing we say is that if, uh, an investment firm wants us for capital only, we're not interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we, there's, we, we just have, uh, a lot of experience and skills in operationalizing businesses, you know, through their infrastructure or building them from a distribution capability but also uh, strategy, talent acquisition, recycling equity. I mean, there's so many different facets to it. Sure. Uh, so this first asset uh, that we're due to complete in December, profitable firm, Uber growth, uh, don't need a partner. Why? It weren't in a process to find a partner. Uh, why do they want to work with us? Well, like-minded individuals, our ability to help them, uh, continue to operationalize and grow their business, but also to help them with adjacent
1: growth. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, where did the first capital come from? And I think I'm probably going to guess given your alignment sort of model, it's probably from, from the founders, but (laughs) where the first capital come from and you know, who's supported you along the way? And I know it's early stage business, but I'm, I'm sure there's people already popped out of the woodwork to, to help you out.
0: Yeah, look, it's, it's, that's been a, a, pr- a, very rewarding aspect because when building a new firm, um, you know, people have said, well, you know, you, you're 51, you did very well at, at Pinnacle, like, why are you doing this? Mm. It's like, well, I'm young. Yeah. <laughs> I love what I do. I love working with founders and I'm doing it with some, some really good mates and colleagues. So, uh, I'm not going to play golf. So if you're doing something you really genuinely enjoy. Um, So the early supporters is is, uh, friends and family, but particularly ourselves as as partners. We're putting quite a bit of capital into the business. And then we're getting, because because participants in this industry understand operating leverage and how um, beneficial it can be a number of the people that are investing are actually people from of course. <laughs> fund yeah. managers from within w- within the industry. So, I mean, that's a great endorsement in its own right. Uh Puts more pressure on us, but yeah, for sure. but, but fantastic, you know, because yeah. they often ask. So, you know, it, once you make your first investment, we want to know, you know, we're going to be assessing, you know, why you've done it and how it compares yeah. to our business.
1: It's true. I mean, I know. At partners, like the first capitalist friends and family and sort of ex colleagues, it's actually the hardest yeah. money to run, right? because yeah. like, you don't want to, you obviously don't want to let down any investor, but people that are close to you, it's even, you know, it's they're going to hit you harder. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to, Very true. good to hear. Now, a little bit of overlap with the next one, but what do you personally do differently and why do you do what you do? And you've already, you know, said you're passionate about what you do. Yeah. Interesting to just dig a little bit deeper into that one.
0: Uh, do differently. I mean, I try and really focus on the individuals that I'm working with or, you know, be it as in business partners, uh, or prospects. Um, whenever you, whenever you work with a colleague, you know, so I spent nearly 15 years at Pinnacle, that was hard to leave, like it was great relationships with the, with the boutiques and also with Mm. the management team, um. I don't know how different it is, but I like to make sure that I can develop long-term sustainable relationships. Because as you would know, the true test of a relationship isn't when things are going good, Sure. right? It's when they're, it's when they're in challenging times. Yeah. So it's when you can actually lean on the relationships both ways mm. to get through a challenging period. And the only way that you can do that is if you have invested in those people. So I find, um, I find that personally rewarding. And I think in an environment where it's very easy to skim across like a pebble on a, on a lake, if you just take the little bit of extra time to get to know people, uh, you know, you, you will develop better relationships. But also,
1: you'll actually get more
0: personal growth out of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that's different. But yeah, I don't
1: think it's 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 critical, right? Like I think of in your career, you have lots of difficult discussions with you know clients, colleagues, and the easiest difficult discussion to make is someone you've already built a rapport with. Yeah, and that's important in any relationship. I think. Yeah, so I think it sort of goes goes to what you're saying.
0: Yeah, and you know, often when people say, "Well, you know," it's a bit like the how do you add value to um, to founders? I actually, and I know Ian and, and Andrew, Andrew Chambers would also refer to this, it's actually all the work you do off the ball. Yeah. That, that, that you know, marriage counseling, yeah. <laughs> you know, founders loving each other, not really liking each other, yeah. you know, uh, exiting someone from the, you know, it's all that non-typical day-to-day stuff is actually where you've, you spend a lot of that's where you add the most amount of value.
1: So when you say off the ball, what sport are you talking about? Is that you're rugby? Rugby oh, league, gosh. AFL. Uh I you can be all of them if you want. I don't know if
0: I can say rugby these days, really. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? Yeah, it's still popular.
0: Yeah, it's popular enough. Um, we've got uh one of the co-founders, Alex, is South African. So gotcha. he's uh that's pretty happy. He's pretty happy. Yeah. That's
1: right. I'm a Victorian, so it's AFL or nothing. <laughs> AFL, yeah, of course. <laughs> um What qualities and, um, you know, character traits do you look for in in investment managers?
0: Yeah. Um, ones where the, the leaders know it's not all about them. (laughs) Uh, they want to, they want to bring people on a journey, right? Um, so they want to share the, you know, they effectively want to share the spoils, um, so that. That is sort of an absolutely critical, they're critical behaviors that have to be exhibited yeah. amongst, uh, investment managers. And then it's also very much, you know, client, client centricity is, yeah. is really critical. Now I know people talk about it, yeah, but I've seen so many examples where decisions have been made and they've made, been made to the benefit of the firm yeah. ahead of the client. I cannot stand, it really, it yeah, yeah. gets my goat a lot. Uh, so when we think about partnering, it is an element we spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Uh, because if you're making the decision for the client, yeah, you will, even if there's a short-term impact for the firm, whatever it may be, you're actually going to build a much more sustainable and more authentic business.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately funds management. is a customer business, right? There's yeah. so many... So many talented fund managers out there that aren't client facing or don't understand what the customer wants and their business doesn't grow. So if you're not focused on where's the capital coming from, how you're servicing the client base, you're going to struggle.
0: Yeah. We, we talk about, um, we look for businesses that want to build a firm and not a fund. Yeah, got you. And there's nothing wrong with building just a fund. Yeah but it's not scalable and it's not something where you will want to build a legacy. So for founders that want to build a legacy, that's not all about them, but it's, you know, they actually want to transition, then, you know, that's something that can be quite powerful and often, when you look at this industry, there's been, some have made it and some others haven't really executed that transition that well, because Mm. that they leave it too late. If, if. If you want to ultimately hand over the reins to someone else, you need at least a five-year runway. Yeah. Anything less in our view, you you can't, you can't, it's not enough time. Yeah, it's not enough time to recycle equity, change the structure, get clients understanding what's happening. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so it's everything, a bit of a pitfall. Everything takes, and everything takes longer <laughs> than what you everything think too. So that's the other thing. Hey, if you're enjoying this, please leave a review. It's really important to us. We're trying to build momentum around education and better reviews. will get more people coming and listening. Okay. Back to the personal side of things. Yeah. What has been your best investment yep. and what has been your worst and what did both teach you? Yeah, the, the
0: best investment has been, uh, clearly pinnacle. Yeah. Yes, I <laughs> right, I was clearly. Say,
1: so you sort of, yeah.
0: Clearly pinnacle, but it extends a little bit more than that. I'd, I'd say, uh, the best investment is backing yourself. True. Right. Yep. So now I know not everyone has the, the, um, the risk appetite for that. So it's a little yep. bit easy for me to say because I that's just the way I'm wired.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but, but taking equity, mm. uh, and backing yourself or backing your colleagues to build it, like that's
1: absolutely what I'm up for. I mean, you can still back yourself and have different risk appetites, right? So your risk appetite was you're prepared to jump out of a successful um, firm and successful career into your own startup with, you know, ultimately with three three people at the start, which is uh, a decent risk appetite, but there's different ways to back yourself, isn't there? Yeah,
0: no, totally. And um, uh, what didn't work? Look, uh, you know, this is this, you know, reflecting or actually attributing you know, which we touched on earlier, um, you know, no matter what space you're in or sector you're in, uh, you know, so you could be in a sector that's high growth, you could be the market leader, yeah. but if you still don't have the right founders or management team, it will kind of fail. And, yeah. and I learned that, um, invested in a specialized sports business mm-hmm. personally. Uh, we, we transformed it deliberately into a digital, uh, digital business yeah. and we became the only profitable player in that space in this country. Good start. Great start. Not sustainable, yeah, really. <laughs> you know, yeah. not sustainable. So that was, it wasn't sustainable because of the, the management team, but also, you know, the space, the space was strong in that short period of time. So that, that. You know, that was one of the building the pillars of founders' quality, which is one of our kill factors, yep. and also scale, which is another kill factor. It was never going to scale, no matter how much time you spent on it. Yeah. So, uh, not that heavy a lesson, but a good lesson to, to reinforce and learn. Gotcha. Makes sense.
1: Now, what the legacy are you living and leaving? A bit philosophical now? Oh gosh. Um, obviously from a humble background, so it's sort of, it came from a good starting point.
0: Yeah. So legacy, not one that's about me, <laughs> clearly.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, um, look, this industry has some amazing private market managers, mm-hmm. except our, our private market firms are pretty immature compared to the US, right? Not sure. So one of the things that we want to, uh, build in this market is raising the profile of some outstanding private market managers, be it in PE, private credit, you know, infra and, and, and the like, and making them more accessible and aware to investors. Gotcha. Uh, because it's very easy to go and put your money with KKR mm, for sure. and Blackstone. It's back right? brand. Yep. Back brand, but domestically, we have some outstanding teams, mm. you know, who have great track records. So I would love it if we can help play a role yeah. in building the private markets or alternative investment community. Yeah. I think if we, and clearly Deliver Investors, outstanding returns. I mean, that's yeah, the, sure. you know, but if we can do that, then that would be, uh, you know, I think we'd look back and go, we played a part in helping do that. That'd be awesome. And then look, just being a great dad, husband and and friend, it's, you know, kind of pretty simple in those, in those aspects. It's, um, uh, at the end of the day, you know, you you go home, um, and you want to spend time with the people that you love. So that's, that's
1: important for me. It's a pretty good start. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully I
0: do a good job on that front.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What do you believe are the keys to success and why? And, And maybe go and think about personality traits. Yeah. Oh, look, I think the keys
0: to success is hard work, yeah. um, the, you know, one of the most underrated factors is luck. Yeah, for sure. You know, you do, um, you know, people say the harder the work you're lucky you get, we've heard that so many times. There's an element of that, but mm. you still need some luck. Yeah. You know, the fact that, um, you know, I took the call from Ian, you yeah. know, I met, like, I, you know, that could, if I that's a sliding door moment. I don't Mm -hmm. do that. Then my career probably looks very, very different than today. Um, and I think, you know, being, being passionate about what you do, you have to be passionate about what you do. Uh, otherwise you just meander, meander along. And, um, I think if you're passionate and you work hard and you, care about others or have an open mind about other people that you work with, yeah. then, you know, hopefully, um, you know, things, more things turn in your favor than not.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can see that the relationship sort of, uh, driven personality that you have, right? So I can see f- through your career, that's been where you've sort of excelled. Um, so I think it comes from that sort of that personality style. Yeah. So that's a credit. Okay. Getting towards the end here, a couple of punchy questions, just, uh, Finish off, sure. quick one-liners, or you can do two lines if you like. That's hard for me sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What was your first job? Uh, cleaning in
0: a bakery. That's pretty good. Did you get free bread? Uh, free pies. That's pretty good. Not really good as a teenager (laughs) (laughs) and free finger buns too. (laughs) That's
1: good. Nothing better than a bakery pie. Yeah. Uh, what's a piece of advice for your younger self?
0: Oh, be a sponge. Yeah, yeah, be a sponge. So that's uh, you know, my oldest son's twenty, and I just say, just be a sponge and listen, yeah. and uh, and don't get ahead of yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. this is it funny you didn't you didn't enjoy school, but then you spend the rest of your life being a sponge learning? Different type of learning, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, supposed to be doing quick fire questions, but answer sorry. that one. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So look at the next one. What motivates you most as a person?
0: Oh, look, I'm, I'm really competitive, but not in a, you know, knock you down competitive. I'm competitive against myself. Yeah. Like I always want to, if I'm going to do something, I want to try and do it to the best of my ability. But most of the time you might not know the answers. So if not learn. Yeah. So that's, um,
1: yeah, that's kind of the way I operate. Gotcha. What's the most important skill for building wealth and why?
0: I would, it's a yep. little bit answering the question from before. If you have the opportunity to get real equity,
1: gotcha. yep.
0: where you can have a tangible impact on the value of that equity for you and your colleagues, uh, you know, if you look at all, a lot of the successful people, they've been founders of their own business, mm. you know, as in wealthy individuals. So if you get that opportunity, grab it and go for yeah, it.
1: Makes sense. What's the most important habit for building wealth and why? You sort of answered this a little bit earlier but we'll continue through.
0: Yeah look um you're gonna make mistakes yep. so learn from them.
1: <laughs> Perfect. What is your definition of sustainable success and how are you achieving it and how can others?
0: Oh sustainable success in my view is all about c- having a very open mind yep. and mm-hmm. continual learnings so that when you become blinkered and not willing to look at things with a different lens that's when you're probably going to anchor to things and when you anchor yep you, you increase the probability of
1: making a mistake totally agree when you're not working how do you like to spend your time working
0: gosh <laughs> well considering i wasn't really a, a, a student i love to listen to podcasts yeah. um and mainly ones that relate to investment management uh or or, or listen to audiobooks i love um, listening to those, and particularly when I'm mowing the lawn. So I live at uh, out in the Hills District on a little bit of land, and and uh, that's really enjoyable. So um, enjoy doing that. And obviously, I've got four kids and a great wife. So. Um, I love spending as much time as I can with them. Hopefully, that's reciprocated from them.
1: Uh, are you on the ride on, or are you on the push?
0: <laughs> uh, on a ride on. That's correct. On, on a ride on. So yeah. it's not it's not that bigger land, but it I, it takes me about ten times longer than it should
1: because the podcasts go for a that's decent good. period of time. Let's do three or four laps. Three or four laps. Yeah. <laughs> good on you. Okay, what's the biggest mistake people make when it comes to building a business?
0: Short termism, hundred percent. You know, and and being focused on themselves, but short termism
1: things take things take time yeah they do what's new and next for you I know the scarcity journeys just started yeah but uh, what's what's next
0: Oh, look r- laser focused on on uh, finding outstanding investment firms and helping them grow uh, it's you know what is what occupies all of you know our time at the moment uh, and that's that should be a pretty exciting journey in its own, in its own right. So, you know, very much focused on that. And, um, you know, if we can build a great portfolio mm-hmm. of five to 10 investment firms over the next, you know, 10 plus years, uh, our investors will do well and we'll feel good about ourselves. Yeah, and that's, mm-hmm.
1: which is good. I mean, the business model from my perspective makes complete sense yeah. and you're providing investors an opportunity to get that access. So it's, you know, it seems a bit of a worthwhile taking a look. Yeah. But uh, thanks. Really appreciate having you here today. Um, for our listeners, Scarcity Partners are giving investors the opportunity to own equity, equality, fast growing investment managers via a fund. If you're interested in finding out more about Scarcity Partners, head to the website scarcitypartners.com. I think my uh, pronunciation is scarcity, <laughs> how do you say it? Scarcity? scarcity. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's a Victorian accent, <laughs> yeah. but I think uh, our listeners can, uh, can probably pick it up from there. <laughs> but thanks again, Adrian, for making time today.
0: No, thanks for the opportunity and more than happy to engage anyone post the post the podcast.
1: Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, if you're enjoying this, please leave a review. It's really important to us. We're trying to build momentum around education and better reviews will get more people coming and listening.